Wait, did you hear? <gasps> no. We're diving into the juiciest celebrity profiles of all time. I'm Beatrice Hazelhurst. And I'm Ivana Ryder. This, this is Uncover Girl. Girl. I've been noticing a lot of phenomenons recently. Also, hi. Hi. <laughs> Lovely to see you. You too. Lovely to be sitting here in our new studio. I don't know if you can hear the difference, but we're <laughs> snug as a bug in a rug right now yeah. on a little couch cross-legged. Cross-legged on a brand new couch that almost cost my relationship to get in here. So often it happens that way. Screaming, crying, throwing up, banging into walls, trying to maneuver this large velvet sofa. When a lifeless object brings you to your knees like that, it's so humbling. <laughs> it's so humbling. Also, Dimitri got stressed during the process and peed on our bed. Of course. As all this was happening. He was like, Mom and Dad. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Us fighting, crying. He's like, Mom and Dad are getting a divorce for I know. sure. But, um, I've been noticing a phenomenon recently that I've been dying to talk to you about and unpack with you. And I just can't put my finger on it. But have you heard the phrase, never trust a skinny cook? Yes, I feel like I've said it on the podcast before. It's one of the funnier phrases. It's one of the funniest phrases. (laughs) That one's really stuck with me. But I'm seeing a lot of skinny cooks at the moment. And it's, it's throwing me for a loop. Okay, there's a new, there's a new thing wherein I think hot girls on Instagram have figured out that it's not enough just to be hot because the the saturation is so extreme, right? Obviously, when we lived in tribes, you know, multiple thousands of years ago, there were a hundred people and there was someone who was the absolute hottest. There was someone who was the best oh, at Can you archery. imagine being her? I know. <laughs> the hottest girl in the tribe? Just like by a landslide. Princessa. <sighs> I know. There's this new kind of thing where I think, yeah, they figured out it's not enough to be hot. And so they've they've started to do things. Everyone has like a shtick. I guess people are drawing. They're in book clubs, you know. And there they have emerged like a lot of like amateur cooks. And what they produce does look incredible. But it's always like truly like the thinnest woman you've ever seen in your life like ghostly like victorian child frail who was whipping up like a gorgeous like penne alfredo or i don't know yeah, like you're a, right. a strawberry shortcake for for 16 and i'm like who is going to share in that multi-layer strawberry delight that you've created there's layers of sponge and cream no and i think you can sort of tell the ones where it's like i'm doing this to be relatable yeah because this is a, you know, a lovely little hobby and people tend to respect it and like it. But as we know, you cannot maintain that level of thinness unless you're in a calorie deficit. Yeah, absolutely. Like every day. Every single day. And then you plateau. So then when you're at such a low calorie intake, when you have like a hundred more, your body's like, nom, 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 nom. like your body like <laughs> freaks out and is so excited because it's like, I've been, yeah, deprived for so long. I've got to cling on to everything I, I can get. So I, it just, it's a little bit at odds for me, but at the same time, I am very pro because there's a lot of talk also about women not having hobbies and that is probably true <laughs> because we've got a lot that we're dealing with on the day to day just regardless. But 
I'm pro hobby. I'm pro sharing in those hobbies, but it is interesting to see just how many cooks have come out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder what that must be like for professional chefs, like sharing their work online and how they feel about it. Well, I think all the time about how professional chefs are taking in, you know, a Brooklyn Beckham, let's say. <laughs> I feel like it must be tough. You've trained your whole life. Yeah. You have dedicated yourself. The jobs are so grueling. I have had a few friends who are chefs who have fully burnt out and left the industry for 10 years and then returned after 10 years because of how physically, emotionally, mentally grueling the work is to learn to become a chef and how you really have to work your way up from, you know. The hours, the drug use, the emotional abuse. Oh my God. The burns. Hell. Hell. Yeah. So I think it must be tough. When someone has like picked up a knife four days ago and learned kind of how to cut things to say, I'm a chef now. Yeah, that's so true. It is interesting. I, I've kind of felt similarly. Uh, this is this is, not, this is a bit controversial. When you see very hot people become writers. Oh, okay. Here we go. Oh, the Here gloves go. are off. The gloves are off. <laughs> Just no, no. Rubbing our hands together. I hear what you're saying because this is the thing. This is the thing. Obviously, what we're talking about is craft. Yes, it is craft. And how yes. cooking is a craft, writing is a craft, any anything is a craft, um, any like artistic form. 10,000 hours. Yeah. And you can tell when someone has not put in the hours, I think, and Mm -hmm. has just sort of picked it up and is like, I've read things before. I'll write things like those things that I've read before. I like to journal. This must easily translate. I don't want to say names. I'm I'm absolutely not. No, no, we're not going to say. We're not going to say. I think there's a name that will be floating in your mind right now as I talk about this. Who are you thinking about? Yeah. Whoever you're thinking about we're probably thinking about yeah i'm not a, i'm not opposed to a memoir i no. think a memoir has its place everyone deserves to document their life i really want to read julia fox's memoir yeah yeah that sounds that sounds really and i exciting. sort of trust her because she has something to say yeah there's perspective there there's she's perspective been through there. a lot yeah and i think that is the difference that's the key it difference is. Is. that we need to highlight is that perspective is everything when it's a 26-year-old hot girl talking about, like, all she's been through and now she's out the other side and how much she's learned in the process, I'm like, well, I I think at 26, you're still in the grips of it. I won't lie. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think... I mean, your brain developed exactly one calendar year ago at 26. Yeah, The brain is developed at 25. So how much really... Have you have you learned? Have, have, you, have you learned? Have you really has has gelled yeah. in the brain? But it's it's the writing itself that can that can be a struggle. And oh, when something is overridden, which is what you know people are prone to do, it just takes a lot. It takes a lot to to really distill your thoughts in a way that inspires inspires. Yeah. Period. And I'm open to be surprised if someone hectic yeah, decides wrong. <laughs> a, a random model that is semi-famous decides to put out a book and it's gripping. I'm all in. But I do wonder what like an, um, an Alison Roman, for example, yeah. is thinking when she's seeing the get ready with me of the food world of just like, let's make this like beef tartare and 
you know, and has literally spent her like life like fighting for the same airspace to to create. I am just I'm like curious about what all these chefs feel like, those who are very famous and those who are just trying to, you know, rise up through the ranks. I also feel like they occupy different spaces in that like Alison Roman, thankfully, is not competing against the people that are no. like thirty two grams of protein overnight oats. Like those girls are serving a different need than but, Alice and Roman. But the 32 grams of protein overnight oats are not the girls I'm talking about. You know this. Yeah. You're, okay. You're right. You're right. You're I'm right. not That's talking- like a tier below. We yes. need to do a tiered system a tiered actually system. of like the, you know, people that are worth their weight. Mm-hmm. Insult. Is that the phrase? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and very appropriate, man. I, I, that's, I was going to say. A well seasoned take. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so we need to do that top tier and then the middle tier is where it gets nebulous. Well, the thing is, again, is the 32 grams of protein overnight oats girls mm-hmm. are usually coming to it from a nutrition fitness perspective. Yeah. They're like, look, this is how I, how I did it. Yes. How I did it. That's how I keep the body shredded is by working these recipes into my daily life. The people that I'm talking about are a different, mm-hmm. a different tier, a different realm, if you will, mm-hmm. because they are very beautiful, very thin, hot girls, again, making grilled cheese, fries, chicken tenders. It's, it is their hobby and they are probably great, but there is that whole like uh, little voice in the back of my head that's like the you are not eating that model movement of like 2015. It's like no. posing with a slice of pizza and yeah. being like, where did that pizza go after the picture? I'm You'd kill to know. <laughs> I'd kill to know the probably the in the trash. I know, you know. Um, but no, I do you remember there was this whole movement of, I don't know what it was. You couldn't see a paparazzi picture of Bella Hadid without her carrying a slice of pizza. No, it was all she had, and the Instagram videos flash on downward pointing at a table filled with seven plates of pasta for two yes. girls yeah yeah for two girls yeah yeah which you and i would do the curly fries are there yeah like, but i don't even know if we would in this day and age like you and i are probably we're sharing a a pizza and a pasta and maybe a salad and that's kind of and a tiramisu and a that's a different stomach entirely <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk about that <laughs> and it's at a point where it's unreasonable yeah that's true it's excess. It's Marie Antoinette. <laughs> <laughs> Let them eat my strawberry yogurt. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Anyway, it's something I've been thinking about, but... Of course. How could you not? Speaking of videos that inspire, what is inspiring you, my sweetie, my angel? Oh, you know what it is. Do you have one? I actually... I, I don't. don't know. Oh, I don't. Okay. Do you have one? I do. Okay. You say yours and then I'll say mine. I thought about it. I was thinking about it, but... I'll have one by the time you're done with yours. So say yours. I'm scared to say it wrong. I understand. <laughs> Nikolai Jokic. I, Jokic? Yeah, I think Jok- so. Jokic. Let me, let me, yeah. Nikolai Jokic. Yeah, I'm sure that that's. Can you say it? Can you say it out loud? Can you? Nikolai. How do you spell it? Let me see. Ni- Nikolai, like N-I-K-O-L-A-I-N-Jokic. Oh, no. Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is my stop laughing at me. It's perfect. You're doing a great job. Is my my lifeblood, my my man, my god. He is all I aspire to be. He is who I look to, who I pray to at night, who I journal about. He occupies my thoughts. 
when I see a new video of him on my reels, I am so excited. If you if you're confused, it's because you probably aren't a sports fan and neither am I. I'll be the first to admit this isn't ESPN. No. This isn't the Ringer Sports. No, we're not trying to be pick me's here. No. We're like, did you catch the game last night, Beatrix? Can you imagine? Just a slap across the face to all our listeners. I know very little about basketball, but there's one man who's caught my eye and my heart all in one. He is, as Chris describes him, the best basketball player in the world. He is seven feet tall and he is Serbian, which is very close to my heart because my co-host is half Serbian. Yes. <laughs> and so it, I already felt, I felt a kinship there just off the back of that. I'm actually going to get emotional. Oh my God. You and my wedding in Serbia crying about Nikola <laughs> next summer. Nikola Jokic. <laughs> but I get emotional because I see videos of him. He is incredible. Like a talent like nothing else. And he does not care about... The NBA, basketball is a sport. He hates it. He walks in to a press conference like he's going to his death. There is no one who dislikes what he does more and is better at it. Oh, what an inspiration. It's literally an inspiration. The man, I just sent you a video, Ivana. I watched it. Like the ball is rolling on the court. You know, anyone else is like rushing to grab the ball, like dribble, 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 like taking the shot. Nicola is walking alongside it, picks it up, one dribble, three-pointer. He... (laughs) Is obsessed with horses and that's all he thinks about. People have put videos together of basketball players in the off season who are like pumping iron, doing push-ups, like screaming into the mirror. And it's just Nicola dancing at the family gathering. Someone asked him, did you touch a basketball in the off season? And he said, no. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's his nine to five. And he's like, I'm here to clock in and clock out. I don't care about any of you. This is really something to internalize and aspire to. To treat, quote unquote, the dream job as a corporate yes. hellhole. Yes. There is nothing better. You and I, co-editor-in-chiefs of Vanity Fair, showing up to work every day like, whatever. What, what have we got? Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm leaving at five, zero, zero on the dot. And another viral cover. What are you going to do about doesn't it? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's this video of him at practice, which I also sent you, where someone's like, what are you doing? He's just on his phone. And he's like, I'm looking at another horse. I'm scouting a horse. <laughs> he just Amazing. Like, he, and that's his like passion. And that's what he loves. And in the meantime, he plays a little bit of basketball. Pays he for the horses. Pays for the horses, beats everyone, and then just goes home. And I love it. I'm freed by it. I'm passionate about it. You know how for so long we've been like, I don't know. Oh, no, he's a banker. You know? Yeah, of course. Like, oh, boring. Well, yeah, wouldn't want to do that. And it's like, well, actually, you know, you have fun on the weekends. Work to live. Don't live to work. No. And this is what Jokic has really taught me. And I I just am so excited to see him. He walks into he walks into a press conference. It's crazy. He goes, Hey guys, I know what you're gonna ask. So yes. 35 assists in the first quarter. Boys did really well. I love the one where someone asked him if he was going to dress up for Halloween and all he said was no. And then <laughs> dead silence. And then they were like, okay, that's all. Oh, and that's then a, he yeah. was like, goodbye. Yeah, he's like, goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Jesus Christ, don't waste my time. Yes. And Chris always used to tell me these stories about Kobe and the way that he would learn. He learned, not Estonian, some very niche Eastern European language to shit talk 
the European Eastern European players on the opposite team. Oh my god! So he could literally, in their language, he spoke fluent Italian. He listened to horror movie soundtracks ahead of the game to be emotionless, killer mentality. He used to say that was Kobe, like Black Mamba. Oh my god! The game was everything. There was nothing outside of the game. Whether or not he was like a good person did not come into the equation. Jokic. Walking alongside a ball. Amazing. It's just lovely. It just reminds you that sometimes work doesn't need to be passion. Passion doesn't need to be work. You don't have to monetize every hobby, you know? Yeah. Just live and let live. I love that. And you know what? Here we go. I found it. My inspiration oh, is Serbia. Is <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Because to piggyback off of this, it's also so funny to watch the videos of him because he reminds me so much of all my relatives where... Nobody there, none of my family, nobody is just clapping for nothing. You have to earn your spot right. in the limelight there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone is so severe and blunt and loving and warm and kind and wonderful. But I cannot wait. This week, Serbia has been on my mind because we've been putting in some little planning work and for the Serbian wedding. I just cannot wait for the combination of the two cultures. Like there's no way to prepare any of my friends here for what they're about to, what's going to happen in the fact that they're going to be kissed on the mouth by all of my relatives. Did you see the video where he kisses his basketball player? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Very normal. Jokic is like kissing his teammate and his his teammates talking about it and was like, and then one day I just felt like it was going to happen and it was going to happen. And he gave me the kisses. It's just like this like hard black dude just being like, and then one day like Jokic just came out to me and he gave me the kisses. And since then we kiss. (laughs) I can't handle it. I know. It's so tender and so loving. There's a real masculinity in Serbia is a different thing than it is here because mm, it's, this sort it's of, real because it's real <laughs> because those men have torn chickens apart with their hands and I've watched it um no not that that makes you a man and masculinity is a complicated thing obviously yeah but there is a tenderness there in that they are hyper masculine almost and yeah they can get very but, traditional but, but also very tender very yeah, tender yeah. and there is no concern of like oh like i feel like in the u.s there's such a concern of like oh this might make me look queer or this might yeah. uh, i don't like, uh, gay, yeah like, no homo like and very much no that's not that's not of concern there because everyone kisses on the mouth there's a warmth there you treat everyone like family and i just it's gonna be absolute chaos i can't as wait it always is i remember you saying that you would show up and see Serbian relatives after a long time and someone would be like to you, okay, fat? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's actually the first thing everyone says. It's to comment on like how your body has changed. And sometimes I've come and they've been like, (gasps) skeleton woman, disgusting. Oh my God. Like, please, Milos, like break the bread. Like it's like panic, panic, like. I look heinous, I'm emaciated, That's or a, I'm a little fatty. And I, I know we've talked about this on the podcast, and we're like, you know, I, it's, don't comment on people's bodies. Like, just like, but it's, it is the first thing you notice. Of course. And it's kind of hilarious to just take it on the chin and be like, yeah, I'm a bigger girl today <laughs> than I was the last time you saw me. <laughs> God, I can't wait for that wedding. Yeah, it's going to be, oh my God, it's going to be so fun. We booked our band. It's, <gasps> oh. they're playing one part Serbian folk songs like hardcore you're gonna see my grandma like on her knees crying on the ground and then the other is like 90s 2000s rock songs oh wow 
Well, you know that is my that is my niche and my I love. know a little bit of Creed, a little bit of three. You know they're down. touring. You know that Creed's I touring. Swear. Yeah, you sent it to me. I, of course, yeah. <laughs> of course, you sent it to me. Yeah, I would love to go. I mean, seeing Nickelback was really a life changing experience. Yeah, it's a, it was a great time for music. All right, I feel like we're running over time. Yeah, we we're are. about to get into it with our guests. Yeah. Okay, we're so excited. We're going to talk to Ross Garano today, who is an incredible writer, editor, savant. Music knowledge like no one I've ever met. And we're about to get into the one, the only Tanache, pop princess, who like never really took flight in a way that I think we assumed she would. Like the potential was all there, but the stars never really aligned. And that's so interesting. And we're catching her at a point where she was truly like on the precipice of what many would call super sardom. This is when our guest today, Ross Garano, went to her house in East Los Angeles and really got to know her it's such an intimate portrait of tanache he talked to her siblings he talked to her parents they're in her family home where she lives it was just really lovely yeah he's just trying to work out how tanache became who she is and where she's going now we're coming in with a lot of questions ross garano complex 2016 cover of tanache let's get two on baby How's it going? You look so cute, Rossi. Oh, thank you. We're so excited to talk to you. We have also already been deeply, deeply discussing Tanache, and we've gone down a rabbit hole, I would say. Hey, Ivana. I know. And I feel like we need your insight. We need your insight because we went back and forth together about our different theories, what we think of her career, where she's landed, where she was when you talked to her. But we need you to weigh in. So this is this could not be more exciting. But before we do, Ross Carano, so excited to have you on Uncover Girl. You have the type of resume that I think would send many journalists clutching their pearls. Yes. I showed Ivana and Ivana was like, oh God. I was like, I know, I'm sorry. I should have, I should have briefed you before this. Deputy editor at Complex there for what, six years? Yeah, a little over six years. And then to Billboard where you were executive editor and now in your fashion era at Essence, you have contributed truly so much to the industry and we are just grateful to have you and your words and your brain uh i know i was when you edited me a granular intense approach to creating like the best most provocative work possible and that's so exciting to to have as a writer it definitely makes you a whole lot better so oh thank you for that introduction and beatrice geez that was just like some branded content we worked on so if i was that <laughs> thorough, then... and do you know what's so funny is i did say that to Ivana. i was like he took it so seriously and i was like wow that was branded content i can't imagine if this was a beyonce profile there yeah. are no small actor no there are no <laughs> small parts, parts only small actors <laughs> exactly there are no small stories so we're taking you back to 2016 i want to know first off where you were in your career at this moment let's see the story published in february 2016 and i had been at complex since 2011 i started at complex as an intern and then like worked my way up so this was like kind of in the back half of my career at complex complex was my entire education in media but this was my first cover story oh wow i didn't realize that well that's so special yeah yeah i had written like a digital cover on kendrick lamar when good kid bad city came out oh my god but it's fun like it's funny to think that like he just qualified as like a digital cover then they were like yeah he's not we're not giving him the actual magazine 
<laughs> yeah, he's not big enough. <laughs> he wasn't. And it's like at that point, like, you know, I don't think it was clear that he was going to become, he was obviously incredibly talented and a lot of people were excited and rooting for him, myself included. But I don't think it was like totally clear that he would be like this generational Pulitzer Prize winning figure. I talk about this with Ivana all the time, but I I feel very appreciative and I think you probably even more so to have come up as a music journalist in the time of this huge acceleration of hip hop just I mean how incredibly prolific it was at that moment like it was it pervaded like every corner of pop culture people were obsessed I think that was probably coincided with the time that you're at complex where it was like Mm -hmm. it was it was migos was every feature of every pop song like (sighs) totally inescapable the full atlanta scene drake obviously Mm -hmm. transforming from like r&b new kid on the block it was just such an interesting period in music history and it must have been so crazy to be a part of that and be chronicling that yeah it was fascinating it was frustrating i think like in a lot of ways complex was it felt like the redheaded stepchild of media. Like everybody in this period of time wanted to talk about what BuzzFeed was doing. And I feel like working and being inside a complex, like it felt like we were just constantly being overlooked. Mm. We also had like a fan base that like actively talked so much shit about us, like on online. I do remember that. Complex had such, was like so widely hate read by its fans. So it just felt like we were kind of like attacked from all angles. And like, sometimes it was justified. Complex certainly didn't get everything right and made questionable editorial decisions. Sometimes I was a part of them. Um, But like, we also did some exciting things. Like, I don't, I feel like people forget, but like the weekend did his first cover story with Complex. Complex booked a Beyonce cover around the time that Four came out. I don't know. And like, you know, people were pissed off because we did lists all the time. And like, I get that too. List fatigue was very real. Yeah. We pressed that button as often as we possibly could. But we also (laughs) did a lot of like really cool music journalism um, that I'm proud of. And, And especially like in my career post then, like the amount of times that people have asked like, oh, like you were a complex, like how did you guys come up with the idea for like hot ones? And like, they've wanted to replicate things like that. Like it feels like belatedly we got credit for certain things, but in the moment it felt like we were just sort of like ignored or um, ridiculed. Mm. Do you feel like it gave you a thicker skin going through those years? I guess. I mean, my God, like I feel like you have to have a thick skin to be online. And I definitely had my moments where I got dragged on Twitter for days at a time. I was going to ask you. For various things that I wrote. Is there anything that you can recall that you experienced backlash over? I've never had Twitter really. But for me, it was my vice days that I was most dragged for. The worst I think it ever was. There's like myriad that I could pick. Oh my god! The the worst it ever was though was like I reviewed back when we would still occasionally do like an album review. Like I had been to a listening session for the Childish Gambino funk record "Awaken My Love," the one that has Redbone on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. That was that that was like a very big stylistic departure for him. It also coincided with a large like segment of the culture deciding that he was kind of like a genius and that like he could do no wrong. And I I didn't like the record and I felt like the record like was kind of a misfire 
even I think he's a better singer than he is a rapper, but I that album didn't work for me and I wrote about it and I did it with some like snark and some humor. And like if I were to have to write that review today, I still wouldn't love the record, but I would be I don't know, I wouldn't take some some of the cheaper shots that I took in the review, but I still stand by it. But I got dragged for like days. Wow. Um, because he had there was such a cult of personality around Donald Glover and some of it was ruder than than other comments. Like I definitely got called like a racist. It feels terrible. And it but- makes you really wonder like did I take something too far? Like, was I insensitive in some way? Like, you know, and I, and, and in that, those moments I would turn to like the editors I worked with and like, they would talk you down from the ledge. But like, when you have like lots of anonymous people online calling you racist, like it's, it's a lot to deal with. The climate at that time, I want to say like, that was the origin point of cancel culture. Everyone re- was resurfacing old tweet. The pitchforks were, I think, out just regardless. But I, I'm curious, like what that does to you psychologically or even how that affects your work moving forward i mean it happened a few years later like i reviewed the silk sonic record at pitchfork which is another like it's grounded in like very traditional r&b in a lot of ways and that's like music that i love and i've done a lot of reading about and i felt confident in my knowledge and subject matter expertise to like take on the review but i also had a feeling that i was going to get like dragged for it again and I did, and I'm I'm more proud of that review than I am of the Gambino record because I think I did it in a lot more measured tone, despite like still ultimately not loving the album and expressing that. But it it, it kicked off like a similar cycle of like you shouldn't write about black music. And I think as a writer who has spent most of my career thinking about black music, and you know I've had the the luck and the privilege of working with like a lot of black editors who have helped like shape my, my thinking about this. And I can't like out of hand dismiss all that because that would be a sign that I think I was like not taking it seriously. And like, it does make me like pause and reflect. And I think like that's a necessary part of the job being like a white outsider in this space. Mm -hmm. That's a thoughtful way to go about it. I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I know when I look at the stories that I wrote at the beginning of my career to now, I feel like naturally they become more measured and thoughtful over time. Whereas in the beginning, Mm -hmm. there's something really delicious about being provocative or just, you know, a wild sentence that's like out of pocket. Also early internet, like you can't discount. We were wild westing it. We had no idea like what was significant online. We thought everything was buried. Like the sheer saturation of content meant that we took so little seriously, I feel like. The fact that you were able to be so measured, you know, even back then when people were being extremely out of pocket is I think a testament to you. And I think this is the perfect segue into the story because the story is so beautifully crafted and thoughtful and considered. And it was also Tanache at the height of her powers. She's coming off the back of Aquarius. She has these incredible songs, two of which I still gym to, especially all hands on deck. Great choreography in that video too. Yeah. Okay. Do we start with the choreography in the video of it all, Ivana? I mean, I feel like we can. I feel like it's a good, it's an opening image. Okay. (laughs) So this is what Ivana and I have been talking about at length, just to kick you off, Ross, before we dive into the profile as a whole. I have said, Tanache, incredible vocalist, great dancer, gorgeous to look at, multiple hit songs. As you mentioned, she's worked with Max Martin, primed to be a pop supernova and yet never really landed. And I think she's the first to say that. She said that in interviews. I don't think I'm saying anything that hasn't kind of been acknowledged, but we're trying to work out why 
And it was kind of in revisiting her early career, as well as this profile, that we kind of put it together. Well, okay. We have two possible theories here. One is that this feels like maybe a tale of how sometimes blind determination and hard work doesn't pay off for whatever Mm. reason. It's the caring so much and having this be plan A, B, C, and D in a very Beyonce way um, doesn't always come to fruition in a really... I don't know. The the caring so much component, I think you can care, but you can't be seen caring. And she was seen caring and that was her crime. Like, I think mm. that there's there's a difference between uh, Rihanna, obviously, who maybe is like admittedly not the best performer, but still like has it in a way that is unquantifiable, like difficult to yeah. articulate. But it's just kind of like, you know what? I'm fine without you guys. If you turn around and decide like you don't want to fuck with me anymore, that means nothing to me. I'm going to be good either way because I am so innately confident in my own abilities. There's something about Tanache, especially in this moment, and she does mention to you this is plan A, B, C, and D, that it's like you know that without this, she's broken or she's she feels like she's nothing and i think that's what could be a turnoff for a fan it's like anyone on a first date right it's texting too soon (laughs) she's like the the pop personification of texting too soon okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna disagree with you there but but when you go back and you watch like the video for sos or like an early rihanna song are you really are you picking up on some level of cool there that i'm missing because like those songs are not I like those songs. I'm not saying I dislike them, but I don't necessarily see the pop star pool is shallow. So there's not many to compare and contrast. I mean, but... I think that's one of the biggest problems is that it's really it's just like there's a limited number of spots. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. No, the Rihanna thing. Look, like if we put her in the same point of time as Tanache was in this moment, like she's in her umbrella era. She's like entering Good Girl Gone yeah. Band. She was just so compelling in that way, and that's not to say that. Tanache isn't in this moment but she cares she cares so much and it just doesn't mm-hmm. matter like how hot or cool or fun you were on the date if you text too soon it's off-putting <laughs> Rihanna knew how to play the game she obviously had Jay-Z behind her which was you know a huge win but it's so funny you see the girl from La Crescenta here and you see it in in her music and the package that is Tanache as well I think yeah. And yeah. I feel like as we go through the profile, we can sort of we can hold hold final thoughts to the end. I know. We're just totally talking over Ross. We're like mansplaining <laughs> Ross's own profile oh, to no. him. And so I feel like we I feel like we get into we it. We better get into it. Let's go. So it opens. The dogs didn't bark the night the notes were left at the front door of the Kachiwe residence. The family of five lives in a cozy single level home near the end of a not particularly well-lit cul-de-sac in La Crescenta, almost 30 miles north of downtown Los Angeles. It was crazy, says Tanache, whose full name is Tanache Jorgensen Kachiwe. In the morning, there were these notes on the door. Call me. Oh, my God. I love you. That's a pretty intense scene to start off with. And I think that really pulls together your thesis well just from the jump because it's like there's already a big disparity between the life that she's living and the life that she wants but I'm, I'm curious you get to her La Crescenta home you meet her family her whole mm-hmm. family her yeah her, her whole family the family angle was my idea 
Hmm. Um, that wasn't something that like her team or PR or label asked for. Like uh, that was, that was an idea that I had from the beginning. And part of that I think was informed by the history of what was called like the girl cover at complex. So like the conceit of complex for maybe the readers who don't remember when there was a magazine is that there were always, it was a double-sided magazine and there was a guy cover and there was a girl cover and internally the guy cover was taken more seriously it was like the place where you would book drake or the weekend or lil wayne and the girl cover tended to take a backseat to that obviously there are massive exceptions like beyonce or mia but oftentimes there are a lot of covers with like b-list actresses things that got booked late and the idea was usually to generate like a photo shoot that felt a little like lad magish like girl sucking a lollipop yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a little like cheesecake, like pinup style stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Complex like started in the 2000s, like kind of during that heyday of like FHM and Maxim. And like those things were points of reference for Complex in as much as like the source or double XL or GQ was. So knowing that and like having, you know, sat through meetings and, and been on email threads where it was like, we haven't booked the girl cover yet. Like, uh, has anybody seen Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter? Like, I think we're going to put the main actress from that in it. And everybody's just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. I remember anyway, Khloe Kardashian's like, cover. That was a cultural shift. Yeah. And like, listen, we got like, we did some big ones too, but like a lot of them were just kind of like felt like afterthoughts. And it's hard to book one magazine cover, let alone two. Like, we set ourselves up for this problem, like issue after issue, you know, sexism. Like, you can't discount that, but there were also just like strategic reasons why this was always like such a colossal pain. So I knew that I wanted to do this like with a different level of like ambition, I guess. I sound egotistical there, but like I just wanted to like do it in a bigger way than was the norm for the female covers. So I was like, she's young. I knew that she lived at home and that was a thing that she was like kind of ridiculed for in some of her interviews and on social media. And I was like, let's talk to her whole family. Like she's been a child star. She's, you know, like what kind of star family is this? Is it the kind of like scary kind where it's like, you know, yeah. Michael Jackson's dad type shit, or is yeah, it like something different? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Scary, topical. So like I knew from the jump that I wanted to do that. And the team was like into it, which was exciting, you know. And then all of a sudden I was in a situation that I had like never done before. I was like, oh wow, I'm gonna show up at their house and like meet the whole family and inter- and conduct this like multi-person interview, which I'd never done before. So I remember being incredibly nervous. It was like November, so like a couple of days before Thanksgiving that I flew to LA. And I remember like the Uber ride over to their house, just like sweating bullets, being so nervous. I get nervous before interviews to this day, but this one was like especially acute. The story starts with like a note being left outside and then it progressively moves you further into the house, like then the living room, then her bedroom. And that was like kind of intentional on my part. And it also replicates any outsider's journey into this family. The family is also a really cohesive but kind of isolated unit you say multiple times and i think this is off the back of quotes like that like it's just the five of us every holiday every birthday it's the five of us it's the five of us and they're really strong and solid and then there's this kind of like mutual support right she supports them financially um Mm -hmm. and and then they support her by you know ferrying her to auditions for many years and and being there when she gets back from tour with like justin bieber and i did kind of wonder if the familial element hindered her sex appeal if she was like a little bit like infantilized by the fact that she was 22 and still living at home 
and such a good place for you to start like genius to move inside the house and deeper into a family unit as the profile progresses Mm -hmm. there is this like yeah tension between the photos and the story though like because the photos are so so sexy yeah it's like under boob it's sweat it's all (laughs) these things and then it's like this is a very wholesome (laughs) self-serious like wholesome Maybe the story actually like did her a disservice by. No, I would say also the way that I interpreted it, and this is definitely coming from a personal angle, but this is like a first generation immigrant story. This is my story. Yeah. That my of my family, it's only us here in the States. Everyone else is back in Serbia. And Mm -hmm. so holidays, everything, we only have each other. And in that way, it makes for a very tight family unit where all decisions are made together and Mm -hmm. your success is their success and their success is your success. And Mm It feels like an immigrant story in, in a really beautiful way, in a way also that I I don't think that was really emphasized as hard in other pieces around this time about her. And yeah, thank you. But a little bit of background on Tanache's and that you highlight this so well in your piece is that she is mixed race. Her father is, uh, was South African? Zimbabwe. So he's from Zimbabwe and met her mother in Iowa. And uh, I think they lived in Kentucky for a while before moving to L.A., but yep. to your point, Ivana, like there's this real sense of like, I've got to take care of these people and they've taken care of me and we depend on each other to like make it through. And there's also this tension between her growing fame and the fact that they don't live in a gated community. They, they're not in Hidden Hills in Kardashian country. And like, she's kind of like, well, what do I do when people start leaving notes on my family's front door? And like, when will this whole thing shift where it's like untenable for me to live the life that I have been living with them? Yeah, I'm so curious how they responded to you. A white guy coming in to interview like this little 22 year old mixed race pop princess. Maybe they were expecting me to be like a bit of like the bro from complex because that's certainly like what it fit the stereotype. And I'm pretty sure I thought hard about what sneakers I would wear to the interview, but I don't remember what I wore. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. I came into that residence as a fan of her music. Like I loved her like bedroom, her moody bedroom R&B stuff, like her mixtape Amethyst which had come out in 2015. Like I played the hell out of that project that year. And it is like a really, there's like a melancholy at her music that I think I saw in this like particular moment in her career too, where she was kind of at this crossroads that was going to involve needing to like put some distance between these people who had been so instrumental to her, her family. And I, I think I came into that house too, as somebody who has, who came from a very close nuclear family, not an immigrant family, but I could find a way to feel like I made sense as the person to tell this particular story. Having been a fan of her music, what was your first impression of her? Well, so like the story gets into this, like I had actually met her. Oh, that's right. Uh, oh yeah. When she was so sick. Yeah, she was sick. She was so sick. She had come to a complex event at the YouTube studios. I don't even remember what it was for. And she was like deathly ill. Like I watched her like puke into a trash can. Like I can't, I can't say that about any other celebrity I've ever interacted with or interviewed. <laughs> she's like small and quiet in a lot of ways. She's not like a bombastic presence at all, but it also kind of makes sense. Cause I think there is a kind of like quiet sense of fragility that's in her music, like especially like the early mixtape stuff. Like even though like Two On and like uh, All Hands on Deck are like, they would have been like dance songs on TikTok if they'd come out today. But a lot of her music had like a a darker quality to it. As much as she like wanted to be a pop star, she also had this other root in this sort of like artsier 
kind of expression. And I was really interested in that side of it. I was probably less interested in the pop side of things. And the more I got to know her and her team, the more I saw that like, that's actually what they wanted more than anything else. Like before I ever talked to Tanache, I talked to the couple, the husband and wife that managed her. And they were the ones who were like, we see the big tour. We want the pyro on stage. We want right. the 10 piece band. Like, and she doesn't work with them anymore. And it makes me wonder mm, if like, it was like a package. Maybe, issue. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't the right fit for her. I mean, she's like, there's also this dimension of Tanache's story is like always feeling like she doesn't quite fit in. Like she felt that way in school. Mm-hmm. And then in her career, it's like, is she pop? Is she R&B? Does she fit in at her label RCA? Maybe she doesn't. Maybe like she needs to leave this label to be successful. And I think there's just this recurring theme of like, she's a bit of a misfit. I, it was crazy to hear of someone who is obviously so gorgeous, who like had a rough time in high school and you really get into that. And I love when writers do that. Like you have a an incredible ability to hone in on someone's insecurity and flesh it out without ever feeling like predatory. I think you balance that really nicely, but you talking about her high school experience and the fact that she was in a part of Los Angeles that had like what was 99% white or something. It was like mm-hmm. 1% African-American and that, and her brothers were like, well, that did us a favor kind of because we were hot and exotic and everyone wanted a piece. And for her, she just felt like a total outsider in that environment and boys would only talk to her, you know, if it was in secret and then they would lie about it to their friends of us about it. That is like a stunning like revelation, especially for someone who went to high school in the mid aughts, I guess, for that to kind of still be the dynamic. And you can definitely see how it might have bled into this outsider mentality within her career. And when I read over the story now, I'm like, oh, if I'd had more time and a different level of ambition and know-how, like it would have been so interesting to try and talk to one of her high school classmates. Mm. Right. And try and get the other side of it. Like maybe... Did she like, was she so focused on her career even then that she came off as kind of like aloof? Was she like kind of not present in a way that her student, maybe her peers like interpreted as a kind of like arrogance or mm-hmm. unapproachability? And she was like on the inside, she was very lonely, but she, she's kind of like so career driven that she comes off as unapproachable to her peers. Like, I, you know, I would love to, like, there's so much more I could have done in hindsight because it did seem something that she was still kind of like troubled by. No, 22. You've just finished up, I feel like, and are processing the high school years. So that makes so much sense. And it does feel like that sort of darker side has always been present in her music. You also talked about how the very first thing she ever composed on piano was this song about being alone at night. And I feel I thought that was so tender. And it actually made its way into one of the one of her albums as an interlude. It's like this has always been there. And it feels like the bubblegum pop package doesn't fit her vibe or what she's writing about or what she's always been writing about since she was like six years old so you can't pin her down into just one category well there's this other element that you touch on that is like she was contemplating in middle school whether or not she was like a good person oh yeah and that's and when you we start to work and we love when this happens maybe i'll just read it yeah she says uh everything i need comes to me at the perfect time But above her headboard, above her pillow, she has a posted handwritten note to herself in black marker on highlighted bright paper. I know I'm a good person. 
and then you include your question directly, which is what we love. We love yeah. when a profile like devolves into a Q&A. You say, did you ever doubt that? And she said, I guess I did when I was younger, when I was in middle school and everybody didn't like me. I'd wonder, what am I doing wrong? You have to try remember that's not always a reflection of you. And then you say, but who figures that out when they're like in eighth or ninth grade, which is so fair. And she's like, it's a hard lesson to learn, but I think it's an important lesson to learn because it carries over into a lot of things in life and career. How sometimes I'll doubt myself and wonder why some people can seemingly get more success. It's the same thing. It's not always just about me or something I'm doing. See, the room is pretty small. You've seen the whole thing. Talking about her bedroom. Yeah. And like how foreshadowing and weird is that and where she's kind of come from and gone. It's it's wild that you managed to pull that out of her and your positioning of it in this article could not be more poignant. Thank you. That's like such a, that's such a beautiful and kind thing to say. I appreciate that. Um, I think like looking back on the story now through the lens of like experiences I've had since like, I think I maybe underestimated the degree to which she was feeling the pressure of being the major provider in this immigrant family. And I think that that does age and mature you in a way that like, I didn't understand when I was in that room with her. And so when I was like, who figures that out when they're in eighth grade, part of me was also thinking like, who's even thinking about that when you're in eighth grade. Right. But she had really valid reasons to be thinking about that and to be worrying about like, am I doing enough? She'd been acting and and stuff since she was like a kid. Like yeah. a tr- truly a child. And she cannot turn off. Like this is something I deeply relate to where we're like, oh my God, to have time after being a very busy person is like a, a terrifying prospect. And she talks about the fact that she cannot stop. She has to always be working. She has to be doing things because when she's not, she starts to reflect. And what she reflects on is, am I wasting my time? Am I too ambitious or not ambitious enough? It all starts to kind of weigh on her. And you write, Tanache thrives on constant motion. And then her manager says, yeah, she'd have too much time to think if she had a day off, which is like, oh. And that's the thing. I wonder if she was a little bit of a victim of what people were going through at the time with someone like Britney Spears, who was at this moment truly going through the motions, like obviously deep, knee deep in the conservatorship, showing up for her performances and just like doing the steps and not shaking her hair and doing the, truly the bare minimum. And there was all this kind of talk, I think, about pop girls in this moment as like industry plants and not being authentic. And I wonder if that really played into her career in a way that people felt like she didn't have the authenticity that they could really buy into or latch onto when really she was mm-hmm. just trying to please like everyone in the room, you know, like she was just trying to make and sure like so hard and work so hard to make sure everyone stays fed and that upward mobility that kind of didn't really exist. Ugh. This idea is, oh, sorry. No, I, I, I was just going to finish the thought that when Ivana walked in today to record, she'd finished the profile and she was like, oh, it's, it's, it's tough. It's like, it's, it's kind of heavy. And I was like, it is because when you put it all in context, it's like a, someone who just had so much potential and it's hard to see that not make manifest. One, I want to say she still has a career you know, she still releases music that gets people excited. She can still tour. So she's still more successful than most a lot of people. Yeah, you know what I mean? 95%. And like, you're right. Yeah. Because like we've seen somebody like an LMA kind of like. Right. 
yes. evaporate a little bit. Like, what is LMA's career right now? To Somebody from her label is going to try and kill me now because I said that. <laughs> but like, Tinashe like has a kind of cult following, and she has these people. She has this like audience that I think really identifies and cares about the fact that she's always been an underdog, and that's like a really meaningful thing to connect to. It's like, oh, she's never quite made it, and that makes her special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she's, but like, but she has, but she's made it in the way that she, I, I bet she can like live pretty comfortably still. And that's like, that's a really special thing to be able to do. Like, we're seven years removed from this profile. And, you know, she was like at the VMAs, like making noise on Instagram, wearing a very small outfit. And she can still, like, she, she did announced a tour with um, Shy Girl. And I think it got canceled because of, something that had to do with a medical situation on shy girls part. But, but the fact that like she could book something like that is really meaningful. And I think still points to the fact and points to the fact that I think she has an enviable career still, even if it didn't end up being the career that I think she wanted or that some people thought she should have. I think that's the issue. Like it's what people thought she should have. And like, I, Mm -hmm. I'm someone who put LMA on the ones to watch list in 2017, but I didn't see someone like her who is undeniable. R&B talent but Tanache was like again Rihanna or Beyonce spec and that I think Mm. is the difference because it was like this girl I don't know quite how she failed to launch because she is so so talented and like there's not many people who can perform like that there's not many people who can sing and dance like that it's also like hard to have that and the looks that's the tragedy of it but the the flip side of it is as you said like 95% of people who are doing this cannot book the venue she can and maybe the lesson here also is just to lower our expectations of where people are going because I remember when I started at Vogue asking (laughs) asking an editor of like, oh, I have these people that I love that I feel like are going places. You know, what's the metric here? How do we know? Can I just put anyone on the list? And they were like, we create the culture here. Like the people we put on the list go on to make it because we put them on the list. (laughs) Right. And it felt like a very devil wears Prada moment, obviously, to be like, it's in the room here that stars are made. But there is something to be said about the fact that these lists create this sort of expectation of like, oh, Oh, this this person is going to blow up. And then the expectation is there both like on the media side and on the public side of like, oh, I can't wait for this person to blow up. And what does it even mean to blow up? Does it mean that you can live comfortably off your art? Or is it that you're touring in stadiums across the world and about to release a concert film in AMCs worldwide? Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. It's incredible to be on the list. It's incredible to be in the room. But there's always people on the list who aren't going to kick off the same way other people on the list are. Like it's like the the double XL freshman of like there's always going to be a j cole on that list and then there may be someone whose name we've forgotten who was in that freshman class with j cole you know there's so much a luck and right place right timingness of this industry beatrice i think you said about like trying to please everyone that resonated with me too because there's so there's a a moment that i didn't include in the piece that i've been thinking about a lot recently so she had just released a song with chris brown not long before i talked to her called player and it was like maybe going to be the lead single from joyride and it was weird because they released a version with chris brown and they also released a version without chris brown which is strange like usually like you don't get a featureless version too and i remember asking about it and being like because i'm kind of like 
almost like, okay, I'm, get, I'm talking to your parents. Like, are they keen to have their young daughter working with Chris Brown? Like, we're not that far removed from Rihanna and like all the all the various messes that he's caused. And so I asked, and Tanache didn't answer. Her mother answered, as I recall, and was like, you know, we really respect him. He's uh, a massive artist, and to like have him collaborate with our daughter, you know, seems like seems like a good thing. And I don't remember. If, and then maybe Tanache like echoed that sentiment, but like they both kind of just like diplomatically were like, mm. Chris Brown is a success. We're happy to work with Chris Brown. We're grateful. To and him. then, and then, did you see the interview that she gave like earlier this year? Wait, about the R. Kelly song? She did a song with R. Kelly too, and she expresses terrible regret and embarrassment about that. And and basically says like you know like she was strong armed strong armed into it by her label. And then the interviewer asks about the Chris Brown song too, and is kind of like, "What's up with that?" And she doesn't say she doesn't say she's like embarrassed by it, but she's like she's like honestly, it didn't feel like the right fit for me. Like I thought of this song as like a pop song, but they want Chris Brown on it because he's successful at rhythmic like R and B radio, and so they were kind of like no, we need Chris Brown on this song because we want this to be a hit on rhythmic radio. And she, in the moment, she goes along with it, but she's obviously like, she actually like internally didn't agree with it or that's what she's saying now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I I understand why in that moment she couldn't express that sort of ambivalence to me. Like she's doing, still doing promo for a song that they're trying to make pop off and for her to be like in an interview being like, oh yeah, the song that, is out with Chris Brown. Like I didn't want him on my song. Mm-hmm. That would be bad. That would yeah. have made the wrong kind of headlines. <laughs> I understand <laughs> that, but I do wish she could have talked about that in the moment because it just would have made for a more interesting, candid story. Totally. Um, totally. And I feel like that's the I'm hardest in- thing to get is like someone being honest about like truly honest about something that they did that they don't stand by or that they're nervous about. It's like, I feel like people never show their cards to that degree. No, or or when they or they do, they only feel, feel comfortable doing that like years later, which is what yeah. she does now. You know, totally. now it's like we're seven years later, and she can say, "I didn't want to do a song with Chris Brown, really. Like, I didn't think he made sense on my song." Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I feel like, oh, in the moment, I remember being in the living room and like wanting her parents and wanting her to be like, "Yeah, like we didn't really fuck with this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, no way to. It's so no hard way to they, get it out of them. Yeah. No. With or without that like anecdote I think that really comes through I mean the real knife to the heart if you will is your last few paragraphs and her quote about having no alternative I mean you you write her hair is pulled back in a loose ponytail she's wearing glasses no makeup she's comfortable like this is the Tanache obviously that we never get to see and she's like I have no plan b I've set this up so that my entire life is based on this. And if this fails, I have nothing else, no career options, no life options. I've sacrificed so much for this. Failure is so beyond an option. There can only be setbacks. It'll eventually work because it can't not work. And it's never a fully hopeless situation because I'll always have some support. And then you end on the family scene, which is so powerful. You're like their daughter is the guest because obviously she she stops by the house between commitments. You write her parents, Michael and Amy, sip glasses of red wine and listen. So they're listening to her on a radio show. Tanache lingers in the hallway for a moment and then disappears, closing her bedroom door to the sound of her own voice. It's such a powerful image. And I really do feel like 
what you did so beautifully in the structure of this piece as you make your way through their house is to end in her bedroom and to see the intimate little like mantras on the wall and the place where she's recorded a lot of her music also and written a lot of her music and lived all her life feels very, very intimate, especially this final moment. It's like you are truly looking in through the window of someone's house and seeing how their family lives. You could not recognize this as the complex of 2016. This could be Vanity Fair. This could be New York Times. Like, I, I feel really lucky to have been able to do this story because so many things came together. Like the fact that her parents and her family were so willing to do this and were so generous to open their home to me. The fact that I had had this like random run in with her before and seen her in this vulnerable place and, and got to like kind of bring that up with her. Like, you know, I think like one of the things that hurts music journalism now, especially when it comes to like celebrity focused things is just like, there's only so much you can do with like 30 minutes over the phone with someone. Artists are rightfully so like really guarded. They're like in the thick of the, the chaos of their burgeoning career. And so they withhold things so they can't share things. So they don't have the perspective. Like I bet like, you know, the fact that like Tanache now, like almost a decade later can talk with candor and nuance about like these dis- decisions that were made in her career when she was younger, like is really fascinating. And, you know, I wish that more people would like let you behind the curtain a little bit to be like, this is what the label wanted. This is what I wanted. This is what yeah. my manager wanted. This is how we kind of arrived at a compromise that maybe no one was happy with. But nobody wants to talk about that. Because like at the end of the day, like this is a business and like it needs to be successful. And what makes for good album or single promo is not what makes for a good profile. Like these things are sort of incompatible in some ways. I think I disagree with you there. Because I think okay. what makes for a great profile makes for makes for incredible promo. Because like mm. even if you're just pulling out the clickbait, even if it's just like headlines, people aren't like diving deep into like the beautifully nuanced prose of a profile. I think if you're getting attention from saying things how they are, then more people are going to tune in to try and go behind the curtain with the music. And I think we've seen that. I like, disagree. I'm on really? Ross's side really? because <laughs> I think what we I think that what we like is the illusion. I mm-hmm. think that we like the story and we like a neat story. Okay, but what about the John Mayer Playboy Q&A in 2010? Of course. Mess. Mess. Mess beyond anything. But I don't know how that necessarily like translated to sales and like his child I think there's obviously a fine line to toe like you can't say like David Duke cock and then probably expect that you're going to have like the billboard number one but no but- <laughs> well Morgan Wall- but Morgan Wallen just proves that right like Morgan, well, Morgan Wallen-, Wallen is a great example yeah 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 exactly yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, I guess it depends on your audience. Like, But I do think that that aligns with his story, which is that he's like a chaotic man. Right. And I feel like we got into another debate about like who could do this and get away with it I, and how not that many people could. I think that once you've once you have a persona. Right. You can do things as long as it contributes to that persona. But it's when someone does something like very left field or something that's uncomfortable or something that I don't know messes up the story that then I think audiences chastise them for it yeah and I now I'm thinking about it the only person who's kind of managed to do that and is a woman in our generation is is Doja Cat and even then she never Mm. utilizes the press it's all social media and like direct to consumer marketing where she's just talking to her fans and being like 
if y'all bought the last two albums and you're idiots because it was bad. <laughs> I know, know. No, she's a fascinating case study. And so like, what totally. if you just said the quiet part out loud? And she just, she wants to be antagonistic and provocative in a way that I feel like I haven't seen an artist want to be that way since like Tyler, the creator. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Cause she's doing some stuff that I think is probably beyond the pale maybe like i don't have the full background on the whole neo-nazi shirt that she wore but oh like, god i, that I haven't like, heard about that yeah i haven't heard about uh, that one either well, google that after we get off i i don't know i also think that like trying to make every pop star also a morally correct person is just right. kind of like a, a fool's errand we don't need your thoughts on israel palestine to then ask what you're wearing to next week's vmas no and like we don't even like i don't know like you can be kind of a shithead and if the music still hits, like the music still hits, uh, like obviously that's Morgan Wallen's story, right? I don't know. But the funny thing about Doja Cat though, is like this last album didn't sell very well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe she pushed her fan base too hard, but I've heard her live show, like the tour that she's got right now is like really incredible. But that comes back to the age old, like art and artist when you're still able to separate the two and when it becomes like untenable. It is just silly that we put them in this position. Obviously they have huge influence and huge amounts of power, but it does not mean that they are educated on all fronts and should be moral authorities. I mean, I will totally. laugh and laugh and laugh until the end of time that Taylor Swift put out a whole documentary coming out as like a liberal. And I think it's, but that was hard on her. That was hard on her and hard on her like, base. I don't know. I get like turned around in circles when I think about some of this stuff. And in general, I'm just trying to come from a place where I like feel a little less intensely about all of it. Yeah. I think like I really struggled with questions around like deplatforming when I was like in the end of my career at Complex because it was like some of the most intense instances of that. It was like the moment where XXX Tentacion was big and that things Mm -hmm. that were he was accused of were so ghastly and violent. And it was like a real question of like, should we cover this guy? What does it mean to cover him? And I felt pretty strongly about not covering him. And I feel like there were problems with that in that stance at the time that I couldn't see because I was really wrapped up in certain ideas about like what ethical journalism and ethical music consumption looked like that. I don't know. It just feels like hard to hold on to those things. And I think ethical music consumption is so incredibly difficult, especially when certain artists or certain songs have are in the fabric of your lives, right? I mean, Michael Jackson is the number one example where people grew up to him in their in their households. And it is, you know, and then you you look back even further and you look at Joe Jackson and the pipeline of 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 what happened to that little boy and then what he became. And it's like who's the victim in all of these situations? And like that's the hardest part is that also so many of these young people who are extraordinary talents are, are platformized as you as you said at such a young age and are going to make mistakes and don't have the support system like Tanache clearly did to, to to guide them and to be there and and this is a weird full circle moment for this episode because that was where we started I mean 2016 like Trump was campaigning and it was just like a it was just a wild, wild time when you doing the best you could in terms of who to cover or who not. I think there was no winning there. 
Mm. Even Karl Lagerfeld, like we've seen this all over again. Oh yeah, recently. Alexander Wang. I mean, yeah. Was, yeah. I think acknowledging the flaws and the faults rather than burying someone entirely is probably the best way to go about it. But even then, I mean, my yeah. opinion changes all the time as well. Mm-hmm. No, I think like in general, like it's if something is like being widely consumed and talked about, like you can't pretend it doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes it felt like the easier thing to do with like a an ex would be to like just bury your head in the sand, but I don't know. I also think all the conversations about him in the same way that it's true with Michael Jackson, they all become easier after the person is gone. Mm-hmm. Then it feels like there's a less sense of like imminent threat or danger or something, or like I'm actually, I'm, everything becomes kind of like theoretical because the person's dead. Yeah. Ross, we could sit here for hours. <laughs> we're just, this is we're, so fun. We're in an applied media ethics class right now. <laughs> Truly. Truly, oh. the journalism professor yeah, is shaking. We, I was gonna say, can we can we guest lecture at NYU soon? Can we I, know, that up? I know. I know. I feel like it would be riveting. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can't believe they haven't called. If Kim's going to Harvard, we can surely get a call from NYU. I know. And thanks for such a beautiful story, and one that I feel like you know my little twenty-two-year-old self would have just eaten up um, at that point. It's it's one that resonates, and I think would resonate with any. Anyone that's come to this country and feels that sort of, I don't know, weight. Any any young woman, truly. Yeah, I mean, we're always told there's someone younger, prettier, and more talented in the room. Got to, you're always on the back foot. And that's clearly how she felt. And that's, I think, how we continue to feel. But especially at 22, yeah. that was something that was constantly on the mind. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, yeah, I feel I felt older at 22, 23 than I do now. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. You know, the last thing I guess I'll say about the story is that, like, I am to this day, like, I wish Tanache the best. And mm-hmm. I'm grateful to her family for giving me that level of access. But, you know, you, you always have some, like, doubt. Like, did I assume too much? Did I project too much onto the situation? Like, at the end of the day, I only spent hours with these people. So, like... What do I know? I think like before you publish something like this, especially something where you had sort of like intimate access, you, the stakes feel higher and you just always have a little sense of like, I hope I got something right. That's universal, that feeling, especially when it's personal like this. And I think it shows empathy more than anything. Yeah, oh, you had a, you had a very delicate <laughs> you had a very delicate touch. So grateful to have you talking about it with us. And Thanks for coming on. This is our favorite thing to do. It's read <laughs> profiles and talk about them. Thank you, Ivana. Thank you, Features. Okay, a lot to think about. <laughs> a lot to think about. The, t- the concept of time as a theme in that profile is really interesting to me mm-hmm. do you I think? agree oh yeah just like running out of time running out of time wasting your time direction in general yeah needing to account for your time and i feel like i mean it relates to us because we're two people who like to fill our time yeah. to the yeah. nth degree mm-hmm. and it's just always wild to see it in writing when someone else is like that when someone else is feeling that and also like her existential questions of being you know 12 years old and being like am i a good person yeah and like, am I doing enough? I think that's always the question is, am I doing enough? And it's funny to have dove into such a, a career centric piece like that. That profile didn't have a whole lot of like gossip. It's not like, yeah, who are you dating? Yeah. Or, yeah. Tanache on abortion rights. Like it's yeah. really it was there was nothing in there that was really like salacious or juicy, but it was so provocative 
in a way that feels very akin to how we started this with Jokic. I know. Like, and how he's just clocking in and clocking out, but he just happens to be so good at the thing. I know, I don't know how you're feeling right now. I'm feeling very torn between this concept of passion and fiscal sustainability and I feel like the thing that haunts me is when is it enough yes when is it enough and that's Tanache's overarching question and I feel like looking at her resume she was a child star she was in movies she was regular on tv shows she had what anyone would consider success universal success right of like oh you've broken out you're on popular tv shows network tv shows Mm -hmm. you're in movies you're doing big projects you can sing and you can dance you can sing you can dance you're on these award shows she was on like america's got talent kids version Mm -hmm. she was lauded for her talents and has been since she was very very young Mm -hmm. and then her albums were critical darlings yeah i mean ross is a music critic through and through and if he likes your work then that's that's a huge stamp of validation yeah as an artist people loved her so i think it's not totally accurate to say that she didn't reach success but again like i'm i'm just circling back to the same thing of like the heights of success no i know i know what you're saying yeah was so enormous because I think she is comparable to those lightning strike type pop girls. Like I really do think she was capable of it all and and, and still is. Like I would love to see, she's 30. She's like mm-hmm. a year older than me. And I, and I still think that she could totally rebrand and turn it around. The problem is, is that she's done that a couple of times and mm. it just hasn't, still hasn't really taken off. But this industry or the creative industries at large is so fucking ageist. Oh yeah. I would just love to see a pop girl take off over 30. Like it would be so exciting to see a musician really come into his or her own at like 35, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I feel like that's a story that actors sometimes have of like Mm. the actor that didn't start acting until their thirties or forties, didn't get their first major role until their fifties. I feel like that there's something tender about it. But even then it's because we're like, oh, this old man yeah, we, is an actor. We need a middle-aged person to play a role sometimes. Yeah. But it's like, do we ever need a middle-aged pop star? Like, that's I don't know. Thing. Do we have any? Well, we've got... I mean, Cher. Well, <laughs> true. Well, she's kind of elderly. Yeah. Now. She's past middle age, yeah. I would say. Beyonce, who's 40 and is still selling out stadiums around the world. You've got Taylor Swift, who is coming up on like 34. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty insane for the level she's at right when you consider like a britney spears burnt out at 26 yeah i don't want them to be considered in a greatest hits moment at that age i want them to be coming out like Mm -hmm. i want them to be the fun new girl in the block at like 35 and i think that's why Tanache in this moment is so conscious of time yeah because she's like I'm 22 but next year I'll be 23 and then I'll be 24 and then I'll be 25 and then when I'm 25 who's gonna still tune in yeah oh also I feel like 22 is just too young for anything but it's like they were all I know baby 16 16 18 yeah yeah it's Obviously, Taylor Swift was 13. Oh, my Lord. And what does that say about society and culture at large in the sense that we either don't like to see these women grow up or we like them to break out when they're preteen, adolescent? You know what? Uh, yeah. What is the youth component of it all? I mean, we're living longer than ever. Elon Musk is never going to die. No. <laughs> 
It's like, why must you have been on the planet for truly 11 years before you step into the industry, you know? I feel like it's because a lot of their fans are young girls, obviously. And in that way, they look up to them and idolize them. And it's like, she's just like me. And then I think for adults, I feel like high school is a time that everyone has really strong memories of and nostalgia for and so it's almost a nostalgic piece of like I remember when I had that much promise and youth and my life was just starting and now I'm looking at a Britney I know but they're always positioned as like like sex kittens yeah like it's never the high school girl that you know or that you were no like we can watch this video of Tanache in two on to the cows come home and she's push up bra to the absolute max and she's probably like yeah truly 19 at this moment and there is that that whole thing of like the sex appeal is just not quite shining through like you get it but it's just something is ringing false about it yeah I don't know it's this is such an interesting question because I think it's deeply applicable to our lives in a way that we didn't expect like this profile Mm -hmm. as a whole is really like we're at the same juncture right now, you and I. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where do we invest our time? What strategically would be the biggest payoff? And if we try, try, try so hard, mm-hmm. what can we expect to happen in Are our future? Are we rewarded? Yeah. yeah. Will, it, will it all come to fruition? I remember that really young, I was like chosen at my elementary school to give the graduation speech. And I really wanted it. Like I wanted it so badly. And when they gave it to me, I remember my mom saying, you know, Usually when you want something so much, it doesn't work out. And it's so funny that it has stayed with me since being like nine or 10 years old, that concept of like, if you're wanting and you're trying and you're working, like it doesn't come to fruition always. And like, this has been a testament of that. And yeah, I don't know where I'm landing. I'm in a very, I'm in an existential wormhole right now. How could we not be? How could we not be? (laughs) I know Ross has really sent us into a tailspin. Who would have thought? I know. It's just like the tone of this profile is so different from a lot of the ones that we do. Yes. We usually come to them because there's a big uh, drama. Revelation. It's it's dramatic. Yeah. But this is a quiet revelation. Quiet. It's quiet. It's in the home. The hearth. hearth. (laughs) You and I do not like to live in the quiet. No, no. We struggle with the quiet. We struggle with the quiet for sure. We can't even tolerate dead noise in this in these episodes no no cut they must be filled they must be filled <laughs> oh man wow well i feel <laughs> i feel good and cozy okay i think i think that's how i'm left feeling after all of this scale of one to ten how much you want to interview tanache after this what, i feel much? like a lot actually yeah, same. i feel like i would I'm really living. really like some the perspective right yes, now i want to spend time with her i want to hang out with her i want to really get to know her yeah and what i would love to hear more than anything is that she's completely happy with how her career has turned out yes because i also think that if you you and i specifically mm-hmm. some of the things i said in like the fifth grade that i was going to accomplish now are hilarious to me you're right And it's because no one person could do all of those things. But at the time, it felt like I could. And I remember those games of MASH you used to play. Do you remember? Or if you had that where it was like, oh, I'll be married by 22 and I'll have six kids. And I mean, now that's absolutely hilarious. But at the time, it seemed so reasonable. And I just think there's nothing I love more than meeting a woman 
who is totally at peace with the way that her life has shaken out. The other thing is it's we've got to be open to a shifting concept of success. Yes. Like we're thinking of success right now for Tanache on the spec of a Beyonce Knowles. And it may not have even been feasible for her with the life that she actually likes. She may very well be grateful for the fact that she didn't have that career in the end where like she couldn't step outside with people losing their shit. Beyonce can't go anywhere. No. At all. She's and she's constantly thinking about the brand. Yes. Like any decision is comes down to the brand. I can't imagine no. what that does to your central nervous system. Shackled. Yeah. At yeah. all times. Mm-hmm. At all times. And I feel like in that way, it must be somewhat freeing to be someone that's beloved by her fans, definitely, but also not on a national stage every hour of the day. Right. Yeah. No, I wonder if the quiet life in La Crescenta is the happier route, ultimately. I feel like it might be. Yeah. It's sort of the difference of like moving to New York and being like, I'm going to die here. Like, it's the best and I'll be out until four every day. And then realizing like, actually, I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> I, I want to move upstate yeah. and I want to I want to enjoy my life. I know. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. A lot to lot to brew on. I know. Tell us how you feel. Yeah, please tell us how you feel about this one. I, I'd really love to hear any and all feedback is so is so welcome. We'll be obviously dropping the link in the show notes as we always do to, with every profile that we read. But maybe we'll stew on this a little bit more in the Patreon. You're welcome to read our musings for a low, low five dollars a month. Exactly. Oh, my ass deal. <laughs> two, there's two of us too. Two fifty each. Two, oh, <laughs> think about it that way. Exactly. Yeah. God, it's so interesting. Well, in the meantime, we love you. We appreciate you. Oh, we appreciate you. Oh, my God. Can't get enough of you. No. And we'll we'll see you soon. We'll see you next week. The spicy hot profile. Mm -hmm. And thank you to Ross. Oh, my gosh. God. Thank you, Ross. What a sweet, sweet man. Yeah. Doesn't he give you just kind of faith and hope in the entire species? Very much so. And I'm like, oh, good. There yeah. are sweet people in positions of power in journalism. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank God for that. I know. The fourth estate I know. is alive and well mm-hmm. in Ross Garano. Mm-hmm. Okay, we love you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Uncover Girl is lovingly crafted by Beatrice Hazelhurst and Ivana Ryder. If you want to get even deeper under the covers with us, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash uncovergirl or follow us on Instagram at uncovergirlpodcast. Rate Uncovergirl, write us a review, and share your favorite episode, Shawn Mendes, Rolling Stone 2018, anyone? And we will be your forever fans. Love you. Love you.